And uh, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, be with you this morning. That's my friend Wee. He is a great guy, great family. That's a little snapshot into his story. I wanted to give you a quick little snapshot into my family story from this past week. My little son, Jack, turned three. And so, uh, like you do, a three-year-old birthday when he is obsessed with superheroes, we took him to this place where he could get his face painted. And this is a photo. That's... That's the look of a kid who's looking into a mirror and seeing for the first time face paint on his face, and he realizes it's Batman. And he wants to just like smile and gush and be so excited, but he's trying to look tough because he's Batman after all. So, uh, so grateful for Jack, so grateful for my wife Hillary and our little boy uh, Henry. It was a fun week kind of celebrating that with him. This was also an interesting week because last Sunday was Super Bowl Sunday, and regardless of what the outcome of the game, if you liked it, if you didn't like it, whatever, at least you can respect that Peyton Manning got one more. I mean, that's a good, that's a good thing. He's a respectable guy. And maybe you also respected, or maybe you didn't, the, the, the halftime show. I thought it was interesting. It was pretty extravagant and pretty cool. Here's a photo from the halftime show. Uh, believe in love. That was, the, that was the slogan. That's what they were going for. That means different things to different people. But what I want you to see is that love is in the air. It's Valentine's Day. The Super Bowl is talking about love and Coldplay and Beyonce, the, the queen of pop culture, is singing about believe in love. And, and love is a difficult thing, isn't it, to believe in? When you've lived the life that you've lived, when I've lived the life that I have lived, when, when we've had some bad experiences with love, when we have some scars, some battle wounds, because love is a battlefield for some of us. And it's just like, it can be, you didn't like that? <laughs> it wasn't in my notes, it just came uh, out. You never know. Uh, there, there's, there's others of you who don't believe in love, and I know that because you're on Tinder. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't have Tinder on here, don't worry. This is just, this is just an example of a... There's, Tinder is an app, and it's for people who have given up on love, and they have just decided that they'll settle for a hookup, you know? Uh, I don't know about longevity, I don't know about compatibility, but you're hot, so I'll swipe right, you know? And maybe something will work out, and, and, and maybe not. Tinder is an example of giving up on love and saying, we'll, we'll just, let's just make the most of the, the time that we're in, and let's just make out and try to have fun, uh, because I'll settle for commitment over, or I'll settle for chemistry over commitment, because I don't believe in love. I've, I've had a bad experience. All of us have some kind of scars from love gone wrong in our life. And yet, we read in these most famous verses about love at the top of your outline, we read that still, verse 6, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always hopes and endures through every circumstance. And yet, that probably isn't your experience with love, at least not all the time. Now, this morning I want to talk, I'm hoping to talk to all of us, because 90, over 90% of us either will get married, are married, or have been married. 
And then there's like a percentage in the 7 to 10 range that won't. And yet most of this message will still apply to you too for everyone. And I want to take us to a strange love story in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Perhaps you've heard of Abraham. He's the patriarch of the Jewish nation. He's the guy that God just chose for seemingly no apparent reason and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And he and his wife, Sarah, were old. They didn't have any kids. So it was a laughable thing. And God says, no, 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 I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you a kid and I'm going to make you into this great nation. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. In other words, it's worthless even trying to count them. There's going to be so many. And sure enough, he gave him a son named Isaac. That this legacy, this family heritage, this nation would come from Abraham through Isaac. And then Isaac had two kids, Esau and Jacob. Now, here's where scandal starts to set in because these boys, Jacob in particular, was scandalous. And he was the younger son, but he swindled and tricked his brother into giving up his birthright as the older son. Apparently, that's a thing you can do in that day. You can trade your birthright. And to have the oldest son birthright is a big deal because in that culture, it meant that you got most of the blessings, you got most of the stuff, you got most of the land from your dad when he died. And so Jacob wanted that blessing, and he tricked Esau into giving up the birthright. And his mom helped him. Rebecca is their mom's name. She was a part of this little deception. And uh, when Esau figures out that he's been swindled, he is angry. And he says, I'm going to kill Jacob. So mom hears about this, and she's like, dang it, this was, I knew this was going to happen. i got to get Jacob out of here. And so she goes to dad, and she's like, hey, Isaac, uh, these women around here are terrible. I mean, this is like everyone here is so materialistic. we got to send our kid out of Orange County to the Midwest to find a wife uh, because it's just not going to be good here. And so she convinces him, and he says, yeah, let's, let's send him out of here. And here's where it goes in Genesis chapter 28. So Isaac, dad, called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman from around here. Go at once to Paddan Aram, to the house of your mother's brother, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham, your grandfather, so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Now just ignore for a moment that he's talking about like uncles and cousins and just recognize that in that day, that was totally normal. Uh, it didn't pollute the gene pool. Everything was fine. This was a common thing that they did. So go to this extended family and you're going to find your wife there. Now here's the first important observation. It's in your outline. By the way, I give you these outlines not because I just have too much time on my hands, but because I study communication and I understand that when I just speak to you audibly, you'll retain maybe 10% of it by a week from now. 
But if you actually write something down, that percentage jumps up to like 20 or 25%. So I just give the opportunity. Some of you play, some of you don't. I don't take it personally. I just wanted to let you know that's why there's fill-ins on the outline should you choose to take advantage of it. And here's your first fill-in. <laughs> Love is a journey. Love is a journey. So dad tells he tells Jacob, I want you to go on this quest. I want you to go from here to there. You have extended family on mom's side over there, and I want you to choose a wife there. Not here. I don't want you to marry one of the Canaanites. I want you to choose a wife who has your same kind of background and tradition and family values and stuff like that and worships your same God. That's where you'll find your wife. His dad is sending him on a journey, and his dad believes that this journey is inspired by God, that somehow God will bless you on this journey, and he will give you a wife on this journey, and he will multiply our family through you on this journey because of this journey. Love is a journey, and it's a journey with God, and it's a journey in a direction. And it is a journey that's part of a bigger story. Jacob didn't understand. He was a punk kid, a little bit older than a punk kid, but still a punk kid. He doesn't know how all this works together. He's heard, he knows about, you know, Grandpa Abraham and his dad, but he, nothing has played out yet. They're a very small family at this point. He doesn't know the implications, that the decisions that he makes when it comes to love are going to have a ripple effect for generations and generations and generations. We can sometimes forget that the decisions we make on our journeys are part of a much bigger story than just you. In a small little life, they have a ripple effect. So this is the journey that his dad marks out for him. He says, I want you to go in this direction. And this, and something like Tinder, is a distraction and a detour on the journey. This is the journey. This is the direction. And there's all kinds of things along the way that are detours and distractions and are not helping you on your journey with God in a direction for a purpose and part of a bigger story, a bigger plan that God has for you, for me. Now, married friends, I'm talking to you too about this because it's not just, love is not just a one-time decision that someone makes when people are dressed up and looking nice and there's music playing. It's a decision every day thereafter in a direction that you've chosen that's part of a bigger story that impacts a lot more lives than you realize. Now, let me tell you why we can be so confident that this is true. The story keeps playing out. Jacob goes off on his journey. He's walking in the direction of where his extended family is, and the Bible teaches that he stops for a night. He's tired, he can't keep going anymore, so he lays down, puts his head, it says, literally on a rock, 
and he begins to go to sleep. And it's at this point when he's almost asleep, like in the twilight, you know what I'm talking about? It's not like full REM, but it's like he's almost there, he's in the in-between. It's that, it's that time when you have all your best ideas, you know, and you have to decide, is this worth getting up to go find a pen uh, to write down because I'm going to lose it? If I just wait till morning, it's, it's the time when like the genius idea about the new startup, you know, comes to you and you're like, this is what we got to do. Or, or the staffing change that you know you got to make or, or the, the, the bachelor, you know, epiphany that you get. And you're like, oh, that's why Ben likes Olivia. And you're just like, oh, I got I to gotta get that. <laughs> Hillary told me that would be funny. Uh, <laughs> And here it goes. This is it. So he, so he has this dream from God, and God tells him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do this. It's going to be great. All the things I said to Abraham and then your dad Isaac, it's going to happen through you. And Jacob is blown away. And he says this, when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Here's why this is so significant. In that day, people believed that their gods were localized, that the Jewish God, the Israelite God, was in Israel. The Egyptian God or gods were in Egypt and so on. And so when a people would go and fight against another people and try to occupy their territory, if they won the battle, it meant that their God was stronger and now their God was in charge of this territory too. And so whatever gods these people had, they would either destroy them or they would hide them in some <clears throat> chamber or whatever, and they would hide them and they would put their gods on display. And so Jacob is operating from that paradigm and he realizes, wait a minute, my God is everywhere. My God is the God who was back home. My God is also the God who's right here in the middle of the desert of nowhere. It's not where I was. It's not where I want to be. It's in the space between, and my God is here too. Maybe love is a journey, and perhaps God is the destination. Maybe it's not that perfect person that you can't wait to find. Maybe it's not the spouse that you thought would make everything better. Maybe love is a journey and God is the destination himself. And if that's the case, that changes everything. Because it's no longer the, oh, I'm in my 30s, I was supposed to be married by now. It's no longer that I just want to party a little bit longer and get it out of my system before I get married. It's none of those kinds of things because your God has always been there, is here right now with you, and will be where you're going. And you can be satisfied in connection with this God. That is the whole point. Marriage is part of that, but who knows when, and, and, and maybe it doesn't even matter because God is here right now. It turns out 
God's been here all along. Colossians 2.10 says, So you also are complete through your union with Christ, with Jesus, who was the head over every ruler and authority, who was the God over all gods, any place that you go. And you are complete in him. Marriage, this is important. Marriage is not completion. Jerry Maguire had it wrong. <laughs> Another person does not complete you. Another person compliments you, but they don't complete you. You are complete because of the God who created you and designed you has a purpose for your life. The God who has always been there, who's right here with you now, and who's already where you're going. A person does not complete you. How much pressure does that take off a single person's life? They don't have to be looking around every rock and at every date. You don't have to be weird all the time on your first date, putting too much pressure on it. This person's not going to complete you anyway. They might be a gift from God that compliments you on your journey in the direction that you're already headed, but they're not going to complete you. How much pressure does this take off a spouse? The next time your spouse is like, oh, you are not, you are not completing me right now. You just think... I'm sorry, dude. It's not my job to complete you. You take that up with God. That's, that's on you, man. If you are unsatisfied, if you feel incomplete, that is on you. That's between you and the God who is with you right now. Now, that conversation is where we have to start things off. We haven't even got to the relationship part of the story yet. But we have to start from this place, that you are on a journey with God in a direction. And God is the destination himself. Genesis 29. So Jacob gets up from his sleep. He keeps walking in this general direction. He finally found, finds the territory, the land where his extended family is. And he comes across some people, and he's like, hey, guys, are you the people? Do you know Laban? I'm looking for this guy. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know who he is. And so Jacob goes to the family. It's this great greeting. And they're like, oh, I'm your extended family, and their mother's, you know. And they're like, oh, they take him in, and they let him live there, and he works for them. And he says, by the way, you know, I'm kind of looking for a wife. And here it goes in chapter 29. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older daughter was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel. <laughs> and said, I'll work for you for seven years. In return... For your younger daughter, Rachel, to be my wife. Okay, a couple of things. When it says that Leah had weak eyes, it meant light eyes. So in that culture, dark eyes, dark complexion, dark everything, that was the deal. In a different culture, maybe Leah would have been the more attractive. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, right? But for Jacob, Rachel was the deal, and she, after all, had a lovely figure, the Bible says, which tells you that guys have always been the same. <laughs> And it, it's just, 
It's just how it is. And then he agrees to work for this dude for seven years so that he can marry his daughter, Rachel. Because love is a journey. God is the destination. He's led you here. He's with you here. He's where you're going. And then, if that is true, be prepared to sacrifice. Be prepared to sacrifice. Because God is love. And sacrifice is how God rolls. Think about the most famous verse in all of the Bible, probably. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. And here's a little bit more detail in Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, who was God himself, in other words, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, limited to flesh and blood and skin and a particular geographical place at one time instead of the God of everywhere. He limited himself on purpose as a sacrifice for you and for me. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the definition of sacrifice. And if God is love, and love is sacrifice, then you and I must be willing to sacrifice in love. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you are unwilling to sacrifice, it means you're unwilling to love. Now, a less extreme version of that is a book that I want to tell you about called The Five Love Languages. So this is a great book. Many of you maybe have read it. If you haven't, pick it up. It's, it's worth reading, isn't it? It tells you five love languages that we all hold. These are the ways that we experience love. Uh, here's what they are. Physical touch, acts of service, words of affirmation, receiving gifts, or quality time. And you and I have one or two that are more dominant. Like, I don't care if, really if someone gives me gifts, but the acts of service thing, that's how, more of how I feel loved. And you have whatever one or two dominant ones you have. If all five of those are dominant for you, that's called high maintenance. Uh, and you should come with a warning label. Hillary and mine are different. She has, she has acts of service too, but then her second one is quality time. Uh, and mine isn't. So if I just decide that I'm going to love her in the ways that I feel loved, that's not sacrificial. But no, but I get it. This is how I feel loved. This is just normal to me. This is how my parents, this is how... No, but that's not how she feels loved. So I need to intentionally love her in the way she feels loved. It's a small sacrifice. But sacrifice is what love is. Consider if you're not married, your, your roommate or people at the office. It still applies, although you should probably leave the physical touch one out of it uh, <laughs> to retain your job. But you want to ask yourself the simple question, what is meaningful to this person? Not how can I manipulate this person. What is meaningful to this person? How do they view the world? 
What would they see as significant? How does my uh, employee, how do they receive affirmation? What, what's going to matter to them? Be willing to sacrifice and think beyond just what makes sense to you. It's part of love. Now back to our story, Genesis chapter 29. Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Sure, I'll, I'll go along with this, Jacob. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Aww. <laughs> Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. The time is completed and I want to make love to her. Like I said, men have always been the same. And don't you appreciate that the Bible just keeps it real? Like, it's not this glossy thing with a bow on it. It's just like, here's messy humanity and how God redeems it. Here you go. I mean, that's just what the Bible is. Verse 22, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and he threw a big feast. And when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. Okay, so here's the thing. It had been a big feast. You know what I'm saying? He was probably a little tipsy. A, and B, uh, they didn't have electricity in those days. So, and maybe she wore a veil and yada, yada, yada. So it, it, it happened, okay? When morning came, there was Leah. He rolled over and was like, ah! Leah! So Jacob said to Laban, what is it that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why did you deceive me? And Laban replies, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Information that would have been useful seven years ago. (laughs) He must have been looking around for hidden cameras. Am I getting punked? What is this backwards town that I have stumbled into? But those of you who are dads of daughters, you're like, I see no problem with this. Uh, A dad of daughters creates the rules. You will abide by my rules, boy, right? And then all the people that are like rallying around Laban are like, yeah, seven more years, seven. Verse 27, he says, okay, just finish this daughter's bridal week. And then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He went along with it. He went for this crazy plan. Fourteen years for Rachel. I mean, he got two out of it, but that's not good math. Why would you do such a thing? This is crazy, isn't it? And, and it's not. If you believe that love is a journey, that God's the destination, that he's always been with you, he's still with you now, and he is where you're headed. And if you understand that love requires sacrifice, you too can make the decision to play the long game to think longer term, to be in this for the long haul, even when things don't go right, even when there's deception, even when there's backstabbing, even when the whole thing is coming unraveled, you can choose the long game. 
Because, after all, at some point, everybody is going to wake up and roll over and be like, Ah! <laughs> Leah! Lawrence! This isn't what I thought it was. This isn't what I bargained for. This is harder than it's supposed to be. And if you find yourself in that position, you might want to trace back your steps and consider when, when did I forget that love is a journey, that really God's the def- destination. It's not this person who completes me. And that love requires sacrifice. Because if I'm willingly sacrificing, then the 14 years, the whatever the thing is, is worth it. And feelings follow actions. Marriage is an adventure beyond feelings, beyond crushes and conveniences, beyond what I think I deserve or what, quote, completes me. Marriage reminds us that love, by God's design, is a lasting kind of deal. That's why whenever I tell the story about my Uncle Joe loving my Aunt Joyce in her final days as she deteriorates with Alzheimer's, showing up every single morning to her nursing home, sitting with her, holding her hand, reading to her, feeding her, even though she doesn't recognize him anymore. That's why we get emotional when we hear stories like that. Because he's there, probably right now, and he'll have lunch with her, and then he'll go run some errands, and then he'll come back at dinner and say goodnight, and then go sleep and do it again tomorrow. Not going on vacations, not spending all his retirement money. He's spending it all trying to give her the best possible last few months that he can. Because love is a journey, God is the real destination, and sacrifice is part of it. And he chooses the long game. It's why, when I show you this picture, it looks familiar probably, from social media fame. It's the Hoyt family. That's a dad who pushes his son in marathons and then Ironmans, running, biking, swimming, with his boy, literally choosing the long game, running long distances, swimming, biking with this boy on his back to show his boy there is no distance I will not go to. There is no inconvenience that I will accept. I want you to know I love you and I'm in this with you for the long run. No matter the sacrifice, no matter what it costs me. And because love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And I know that some of you might respond, yes, but I'm still alone. I'm still hurting. I've still hurt someone else. I did give up. I did quit. I did go in a different direction. I did take a detour. I did lose faith 
And there's good news for you and for me. God is love. You are not love. God is love. And God's love for you is not based on your perfection or your your performance. God is more interested in your direction than he is in your perfection. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Why can you have confidence in that? Because love is a journey. God is the destination. He's been with you. He's with you here in this place. And he'll be with you wherever you're going. Sacrifice is part of it. But you can choose to play the long game because it's just better this way. It's better this way. And if this is true, regardless of what season of life you find yourself in, you can still believe in love. God, that's our prayer. Would you help us believe in you in the love that you have for us and the love that you fill us with that we might confidently embrace the journey that we are on knowing that you are right here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand as we respond together?